Alright y'all, what is happening? This is your man L. Jamal coming through with my final installment of the Golden State Issue. Uh, this is my take on the history of immigration uh, of uh, California. Uh, so let's get right into it. Uh, this one I wanted to kind of bring everything to a modern note, kind of give everybody some perspectives, uh, talk about some of the issues we are facing in this modern era, and just kind of end everything off on a positive note and kind of to, to bring together all my all my any loose ends I still might have had throughout the course of the series uh, but let's get let's talk about what what modern immigration is what it is to come to this country in this modern era let's talk about the process uh, of citizenship now typically uh, this requires getting a green card and maintaining it for up to five years it's usually three to five years three on the low end five on the longer end uh, but this can be this can cost an individual there is a cost here just like with everything in this country uh, this this will range you from seven hundred fifty dollars to one hundred uh, sorry from one from seven hundred fifty dollars to one thousand $140. So again, this is a big investment, a big undertaking anybody will undertake, no matter if it's legally, even the legal route, this is a huge undertaking. So uh, just reading those numbers here, and of course, those prices have a lot to do with the age of the person that's coming here, so on and so forth. Uh, but again, whether it's illegally or legally, even just the legal route, it seems to be a large investment um, from these people. So you have to you have to understand that whether it's illegally or the legal route, there's a large undertaking. All these individuals are, are undertaking. Uh, these are these are people that are looking to change their lives. They might be on the run from something, seeking asylum, or they could just be looking for the opportunities that we have here. So you have to have some type of respect for somebody who at least is willing, especially the, the ones that come here, you know, legally and will and will invest this money. Uh, in order to change their life or, or, or into a belief that they could change their life coming here would change their life so you have to give them something there of course you would have to establish residence residency in this country of course having an address uh, for at least three months before applying to citizenship uh, this can be in any of the, of the states or our, or our off-seas territories that includes Puerto Rico Guam the Virgin Islands or the Northern Mariana Islands uh, you must also show the ability to provide for yourself this is a new rule that they ask established uh, I believe over the Trump presidency uh, but you are supposed to uh, authorize yourself for work and be making some type of income the whole point is to not be a drain on any type of systems or be on section 8 or whatever have you uh, basically uh, I guess welfare services are not made available to undocumented workers or to you know to those you know come just coming into this country you must also uh, outside of that uh, there is an additional uh, $535 to bring on a family member or a spouse so again you know especially people that are going about this the typical way you know that doesn't record you know that's not you know just coming over here over the border illegally sneaking you know or coming over here in mass or whatever have you uh, think about it you know that's up to $1,140 just to get themselves in this country then they have to pay another $535 to bring in a relative or spouse. So you're already looking at uh, a total price of uh, $1,600, over $1,600. And then also, uh, not only do you have that, 
again, they have to establish residency, residence, residency as well. They have to go through some of those same processes you do. Uh, now, you also have to be able to, to, to at least seek citizenship here. You have to be able to read, write, and speak English, which goes without speaking. Of course, we kind of know that. You have to have a, also an understanding of U.S. history and U.S. government, especially the Constitution. This is a really Constitution-heavy country, although in a lot of ways... I'll just have to say it just to be real here. In a lot of ways, this country and this government don't even follow it. They'll find ways to, to chip away at it. But, of course, they want us all to be all knowing of it. They want us all as a people, as a population, to be all loving and accepting of it. Hey, this is just what's real. Now, the total the total fee for filing for citizenship. And this is just for filing. This is not, and again, none of this is actually uh, written in stone. There's a, there's a possibility that during this waiting time, you are rejected for certain things. You're not given certain authorities. You're not given, or certain authorization. You could not even be given, granted full citizenship. But just to file for an application costs $725. Now, this is after you paid upwards of $1,500 or $1,600 or more to bring in yourself and your family members. And this is probably an application fee that goes for each person for $725, you know, for each person. So again, this is big business. Uh, this is more so about, in my opinion, this is about making some type, this is just as much about profit about off, off of something as it is about really making sure the right people get into this country. Of course, you know, they have all these different arguments about why we need tougher restrictions, why we need this, you know, people. And then, you know, their their biggest excuse is people are jumping over these boulders. They're, you know, they're not going through the, the, the legitimate process. But again, if you're paying upwards of $2,000, who coming from these these Central American countries is just going to have two at two two thousand plus U.S. American dollars ready to become a citizen for them or their family? And we all know that their families are traveling together. Nobody's going to have that. Not with those wages. Not with you know that that you know that exchange rate is not going to work with that. I mean, and again, so it almost makes. I mean, it kind of. I kind of get it now. I mean, it, it, who realistically, you know, from, you know, the, you know, that's coming from poverty, that's escaping crime and, and low opportunities is going to have the money to sit there and shell out again. This is, we're talking 2000 plus dollars to admit your family and possibly yourself into the, and you know, remember, this is all a possibility. There's no guarantee that you even get it this way. You know, so it kind of makes sense as to why we've, we've gone this far, why we have people, you know, coming over the border like they like they do they're they're coming over here illegally because the legal process they can't afford it unfortunately they cannot afford to do that is there should there be some type of uh improvements there yes i've i i definitely think uh the the amount that they're charging people again i understand you know again the the other aspects of it okay maintaining a, a residence uh retaining some type of job some type of income you know understanding the english language understanding our our history and our culture those are all important things into establishing a residency uh, or establishing some type of uh connection uh to this country i totally get it but paying you know upwards of you know three thousand two thousand dollars i don't see that where that reflects being a part of this nation i don't see where that you know you know or should guarantee that again again and this again 
it makes sense though because again we charge for our we charge for higher education in this country we charge for healthcare in this country so it wouldn't make sense that we would charge our arm and leg to become a member of this country as well but again I'm looking at this I'm not surprised that people come over here the way that they do I looking at this now and really kind of because I understood that there was a process don't get me wrong um and I've alluded to it uh, before, but I didn't know the exact process. I didn't know how much this stuff was actually going to cost and exactly what they would have to go through. Uh, but again, there is some, I mean, there is some improvements that can be made here. I think you can easily uh, still track who's coming in. You can do a good job of, you know, maintaining the border. If you do ease up some of those restrictions, I think those restrictions do start with the price because again, even though we charging these these amounts of money and, and you know we 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 have this system in play, obviously, uh, it's not obviously with the number of undocumented immigrants that we have here, it's not being followed through. This whole system is, of course, is not being followed through, and this is where the controversies come in. Um, this is referring to the to immigration as a whole, what it's what it does, to what what people feel about it, and also the whole conversation of the wall that we're having uh, comes in. Now, immigration uh, issues have not dissipated in the Mana era. Of course, we're still, you know, as of today, we're still talking about these issues. Partisan battles uh, have been uh, on the federal, have been, are being had on the federal, state, and local level. Uh, and this would also lead to a federal government shutdown in 2018 because they just could not come together uh, with any type of, uh, you know, new legislation uh, for that, for this situation. Now this is a this is a quote. I think this is a very important quote. This is coming from Donald Trump, and this is kind of to tell you how the law feels about this right now. Immigration law is a broken system, and one um, is pretty. And, and this is what Donald Trump calls. He calls immigration law a broken system. Again, uh, I think it's. I think there should be some improvements. Uh, but I think it's broken in the sense of we've lost track of it. I think there's definitely a way we could track people without having to charge people exorbitant prices. I think there's a real way, and I think if you kind of look at what the what the sanctuary cities are doing, as much flack as they do get, if you actually kind of break it down, um, you'll start to see that uh, there's more to it than just having a sanctuary city, sanctuary, you know, non-sanctuary cities, um, and you'll start to understand certain things. Now, Democrats, of course, have always kind of been pro-immigration. Over time, the, the U.S. populace has kind of uh, taken up that that same uh, call as well, with 30%, 35%, only 35% of this population calling for lower levels of immigration. So a majority of people are okay with what we have today, are okay with the system that we have today, are not really truly tripping about you know, high levels of immigrants in this country. Uh, you also got many folks citing that uh, not only do immigrants, you know, better the country and don't harm the jobs or the economy, um, but, you know, they actually, you know, improve our situation. You know, and this is, again, this is the majority of, you know, people in general. These are the polls or what the polls are saying. Of course, the Democratic Party, we already know that they've kind of already, you know, supported open immigration. However, this will blow your mind. And again, this is where research comes in. Uh, this is where we read a little bit. There's actually, you know, for those of you who may not know, there's actually a split within the Republican Party concerning this. Now, Trump and others are pushing for walls, more arrests and deportations, uh, pretty much for all those who are undocumented, and they want a cap on the influx. 
However, there's a group, there's factions within the party, including the Chamber of Commerce and other corporate entities, including the Koch brothers, or Koch brothers, excuse me, who are pro-immigration. And I've supported Jeb Bush and Marco Rubio, who both support high levels of immigration. So again, it's not a party thing. It's not a conservative liberal thing. So when you say conservative, what does it all mean? When you say Republican, what does it all mean? When you guys obviously are not all on the same page on this one. And not to say that all Democrats are necessarily pro-immigration, because not all, not every single one is. Uh, but back to the Republicans. Um, this is a quote coming from a report by the Chamber of Commerce in 2016. They went on to say immigrants significantly benefit the U.S. Cop the U.S. economy by creating new jobs and imp implementing the skills of the of the uh, I'm sorry and complementing the skills of the U.S. native workforce. So again, immigrants significantly benefit the U.S. economy the U.S. economy by creating new jobs and complementing the skills of the U.S. native workforce. This is coming from. You know, the Chamber of Commerce, Republicans, they're telling you they are working well with us. They are shifting into society. They are making a shift into our society. And that's contrary to what somebody hardline against immigration is going to tell you. Jeff Sessions, of course, who was our attorney general for about a couple of years. Of course, Donald Trump came in here pushing a wall. So, again, that differs from what we're being told by the G GOP that's in front of our face. Now the Koch brothers, or sorry, the Koch brothers and other, I would say, again, these were corporate entities, political, well, these are the groups, political and corporate, are looking to expand the GOP's reach by actively seeking the Latino vote. They do this by assisting undocumented workers with taxes, driver's tests, and, doctor, and also doctor's visits. These are the same things that go on in your sanctuary cities. These are, these are programs that are made available through the city, through the county or whatever um, through the state even if you're talking about california so again the gop does the same thing so you have one part of the gop that's like keep them out of here we need to lock them up we need to deport them and you have a whole other side of it that's like well they work well for us and remember a lot of especially when you see corporate entities in there uh such as Coke brothers such as whatever corporations may come out you know over the course of time a lot of it is just for labor, okay? It's just for okay. Well, we can have these workers at a at a at a you know lower rate, or we can just have a workforce uh, that is there for us. And again, it's about getting votes as well and pushing certain causes. So again, it's all about uh, almost placating, you know, to these groups of people. So you got to be careful, you know. What I'm saying, don't get me wrong. There is a definite there is a definite move, you know, amongst the Republican Party to join to have Latinos join the fold. Uh, starting with the undocumented workers, but again, that's for two reasons. That's twofold: to get you to work in their corporations, and also get you just to vote. So again, you gotta, gotta, you kind of gotta watch. You gotta, gotta watch. Really, is it the best? Is it gonna best suit our community? Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with having a GOP or the Democrats want to support different causes from you. But is your is your community together coming up with those causes first, so on and so forth? Those are the questions that I would have to ask. And so again. You know, I'm all, and you know, again, there's there's a split amongst the Republicans, but again, I'm a little bit more, I'm still a little bit iffy about the corporate side of it and, and what they have to do with it. And this is a, uh, this is all coming from a article in 2018 by The Atlantic, uh, basically talking about, you know, the ins and outs of both sides of this Republican argument on immigration. Uh, this was a really, uh, really deep quote, and I thought it, it basically matched up what you know we're seeing. Uh, 
And this will go on to say, the modern GOP is an awkward political arrangement in which pro-immigration corporate libertarians, libertarians are subsidizing a virulent anti-immigration movement. Let's repeat that again. The modern GOP is an awkward political arrangement in which pro-immigration corporate libertarians, meaning those who need workers, meaning those who need a staff, especially cheap staff, who's going to come cheaper than undocumented immigrants? So you got to be careful. Don't get me wrong. There, there is some, there is some, oh, okay, there is some things to question about the Republicans. Uh, there is some, there is some differences, but again, I will question their motives. Again, um, they are pro-immigration corporate libertarians subsidizing a virulent anti-immigration movement. So what that says here is the corporations, yes, they're pro-immigration, but since they're still lined politically with Republicans, they'll still, you know, they'll push their own thing on the side, meaning they'll, again, the Koch brothers and those those corporate entities that have those ties with the Republican Party, they'll pull their little things and they'll do their, their little uh, efforts to get the Latino vote. But at the same time, the head of the party and the main people who are running the party in terms of who's in the White House are anti-immigration so you have a very confused it is a confusing situation and it is awkward uh because again uh you're starting to see you get the chance to see well what is truly conservative what is are they really republican i'm not saying that they're not truly conservative or republican in that sense but again we're taught so many we're taught you know through media that you know, you ha it, uh, conservative is staunchly against immigration. Republicans are, all, are always against immigration. No, they're about what fits them the best financially. Lower wage, lower wage workers are 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 really important to corporations. So again, so again, you know, the government itself might be like, oh, I'm anti-immigrant, but the corporations that that hire the people that create the jobs that you keep trying to that you keep trying to give Trump all the credit for creating the jobs for those are the real ones making the, the corporations make those calls they hire in all the people okay so again the people who make the jobs for us they 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 you know prefer low wage people they would prefer keeping people at low wages you know <laughs> and so that's their benefit here and um you know that's uh, and that's kind of the situation we are into. And it leads into the battle of, you know, states and sanctuary cities. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what a sanctuary city is. Now, sanctuary cities limit the cooperation with the federal authorities in terms of immigration. Uh, and uh, there can be a city, uh, just a sanctuary, sanctuary city, or in the case of California, you have a sanctuary state where you, you know, you really don't participate in the deportation of the of immigration of immigrants or nothing like that you don't comply with the federal government but there is some issues here and i'm going to call them out uh you know at least uh the ones that i need to you know at least i'm trying to gain more understanding on at some point i'll master i'll master those concepts or whatever but um sanctuary cities have been around at least since the 1980s uh this was in response to the u.s government refusal uh to admit asylum asylum to refugees from Central America. Now, during the 1980s, about 200,000 people from Guatemala and El Salvador were killed by their own government in response to communist movements. 
the original sanctuary cities were actually uh, based out of churches in the American Southwest. So there you go. You, I mean, everybody thinks about California or the West Coast, you know, liberal places as being some type of haven. But again, they started in conservative churches. So again, conservative, liberal, really, what is it? Really, what does it all mean? Is it is it real? Is it is it a term that we, you know, inter, intermingle, inter, interchange? We want to use it. We put different meanings on it, different contexts on it. So again, it's hard to really to really understand those terms when they're when you when you think the the people who are conservative will be against it, but they're not. When they actually are the ones funding it and the ones behind it. So again, you have two examples of groups that you thought would be conservative, that are actually pro-immigration. That was the churches when the original you know the, when the original sanctuary cities you know, first erected, and also even nowadays with the pro-Republican, with, with the Republican corporations who, you know, who benefit from these undocumented workers. So again, you know, Democrat, Republican, where do they truly stand? These are all the things. It's a flip-floppy situation. Um, now, uh, the original, like I said, the original, uh, you know, sanctuaries were started in the Southwest. Now, San Francisco would be the first quote-unquote sanctuary city in 1985 with the passage of the city of refuge resolution a year later the city passed an ordinance that disallowed the use of the city's income to enforce immigration laws now there are 11 sanctuary states 37 sanctuary cities and also 134 sanctuary counties in the u.s now of course there are some pros and cons uh behind uh sanctuary cities and i'm going to tell you one thing uh, this is where, you know, the it's, again, facts are important, uh, but again, uh, you can you can cherry pick all the facts in the world to make sanctuary cities the best thing on earth. You can also make, you can also cherry pick facts uh, to make sanctuary cities some of the worst places on the planet. And again, it's just what facts you use, what context you want to go on. Uh, for example, uh, 2014, San Francisco had its lowest levels of, of in terms of numbers of mur murders and its murder rate, which was 5.75. Uh, this was the lowest amongst, well, this was one of the lowest amongst sanctuary cities. Also in Houston at the same, well, around the same time, in Houston, uh, rape uh, and other violent assault was down. Uh, for rape, it was down 42.8%. For the violent assault, it was down 13% amongst the Latino and immigrant communities. Um, and this was, and this goes a long way because fear of deportation leads to 70% of undocumented immigrants not even reporting crimes that they are a victim of. So again, there is a positive there. However, uh, within that same amount of time, 8,145 undocumented immigrants were released from federal holding. 63% of those had criminal convictions and 36.6 of them had felonies. So, you know, you do get some bad ones in the bunch and you get a lot of good people within the bunch. Uh, you, there are crime in these places, but again, the with the crime, you know, you got crime in your major cities, you got crime, you got, you know, your, your native born people are, you know, we have one of the, one of the biggest prison systems on earth. We can be all, you know, anti-immigrant because we're worried about crime and all that. But this is the same populace, particularly in the black community that got mad when, you know, laws were made in terms of law and law enforcement that might've led to them getting locked up. So again, 
we might say, oh, Mexicans don't belong here or Latino immigrants don't belong here because they might bring crime, they might bring all that, but we all kind of have it, a, a play a hand in that. And we can, we can talk about law enforcement and, and how it applies, how it should apply to Latino immigrants, but we don't want to hear that conversation be put on us. So I think you should be careful about who you think needs to be locked up and all that and who you really want to comment on. It It's, it's not... You know, being an American citizen is not saying, oh, well, you know, the society that I live in is not picking on me. So let me pick on the others right now. It's not saying, oh, well, I made it past the 50s and 60s as a black person, blah, blah, blah. So let me shit on these these Mexican immigrants or these Latino immigrants or let me shit on the Chinese population right now because uh, of this coronavirus. Same thing for white people. Uh, you know, you don't get to pick on black people. You don't get to pick on Latinos just because you're not happy with your situation. You don't get to do that. Or because you feel like your situation is, is a tad bit better than them. That's not being American. So I wouldn't jump on that hype and I wouldn't get all in this oldie. These people are murderers and killers. Y'all got butt hurt when people called y'all super predators. So let's not go there. Let's not go there. Let's let's let those type of arguments go. Uh, again, you can cherry pick you can cherry pick whatever facts you want. Uh bottom line is uh some some undocumented immigrants or you know depending on how you want to look at it there's a good number of them that do commit crimes there's a there's a vast majority who don't there's a their crime is down in sanctuary cities as opposed to non-sanctuary cities these are facts you can't you can't really deny that uh, no, another big issue about you know you know, sanctuary cities is a fact of, you know, federal assistance as well. And also states' rights as well. Uh, now, many states uh, that claim to have, well, that have sanctuary cities or claim to be a sanctuary state in the state of California feel that the they are protected within this right by the 10th Amendment. Um, and this allows for separation of the federal and state powers. Uh, by the Constitution, the federal uh, government cannot enforce state or local governments to use uh, their funding to enforce immigration. Uh, and, I, and I believe in that uh, for an extent. Uh, but you do have a U.S. Code 1373 that says that federal, state, or local in government entities or officials may not prohibit in any way uh, any government entity or uh, so... Okay, so let me rephrase that. That it says that in U.S. Code thirteen seventy three that a federal, state, or local government entity or official may not prohibit another government official, uh, from or group from, you know, you know, uh, basically, uh, receiving or 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 handling any immigration situation. That means the withholding of information. Nobody's, you're not, you're technically not allowed to do that. You're not, if the federal government comes in and decides, oh, okay, we want to investigate and we want to, you know, round up some, uh, you know, illegal immigrants. This U.S. code here says the state and local governments are technically not allowed to do that. Uh, especially when that person has been committed of, or been convicted of a crime or is supposedly, you know, guilty of a crime. Now again, uh, do I do I think that simply coming into this country uh, is illegal? No, I don't think that you know people are necessarily breaking the crime when they come to this country. But when you do cross this border, you know, uh, without any type of papers, and you do commit a crime, you put yourself in a very serious predicament.
again, you know, uh, and it happens. But again, uh, do I believe that people are breaking the law by just coming here? No. But if they are, you know, under pursuit or there's a warrant or whatever, they have committed a crime, uh, then they need to be taken care of. Um, also, what I feel about this is, of course, uh, recently, uh, at least when Trump, after he officially took over office, he decided to strip federal funding of certain sanctuary cities. One of them I remember uh, distinctly was Oakland out here in California, I believe San Francisco as well. And this is my belief uh, about that. I think the federal government does have the right to rescind funds to state and local governments, but this is the caveat. I think since we're talking about the issue of immigration, then I and I think if that state does not want to participate in immigration, then the state is on, should be on its own in terms of immigration. I think uh, federal funding of immigration sh uh, enforcement should be cut, but everything else is whatever. I think that's where the government kind of gets petty as well. Uh, I think the government does have that right to say, okay, we want to strip funding, but that funding should just be stri strictly stripped from enforcement uh, of, of immigration. I think you, if you want to, if you, if a state wants to be, of a state decides it wants to be a, you know, a sanctuary place, that's perfectly fine. Uh, but they should be uh, held accountable on their own. They, they should have to, they should have to uh, set that money aside as a state for themselves to handle. Uh, they'll have to deal with whatever inf uh, immigration influx that comes to them. Uh, again, I think the federal government, uh, it has its right, uh, being in 1373, that it should not, you know, being in the U.S. Code 1373, that it should not really be prohibited. But then you do have the, the issues with the 10th amendment that kind of say well maybe state governments do well my thing is like i said this is why that's my solution well you sit there and say well you take away all the funding for federal from the federal government in terms of in terms of immigration you take away all the extra funding that a state would need for that and you have them funded you set up your protections you set up all those programs to help and it's another thing that i think uh you know sanctuary cities should be doing more of and I think this would lead to a lot less problems. I think there's no, and I think, and, and again, I think you have to understand why the situation is the way it is first, as opposed to, uh, well, I th a lot of it is you're dealing with a population that really has no legal precedent here because they're not U.S. citizens. They don't really have the right to, to clamor for a, a minimum wage, a decent living wage, or all those those things that American citizens take for granted, they, and they truly do. Americans take take advantage of a lot of the resources that we have in this country, and we do a lot of begging for other stuff. We're just keeping it real, and that's black, white, even you know, again, U.S. born citizens. They take advantage of a lot of things here. Uh, but I personally feel uh, as though you know. Uh, with, like I said, in terms of, you know, why, you know, these states are so open, why you have some states that are, that are not open. I think it has to do with who they can, again, it's pop, it's, it's, you know, you can, you can hire these people f for your corporations. You could hire these people at your, at your, at your jobs. You could give these people roles to fulfill and they're, they're, they're easily payable. They're easily, you know, Fund it because they could, you know, they could be given any rate and you have a an expendable workforce. And I think both sides kind of get over on this. Uh, and the reason why I say this is because I don't feel that sanctuary cities necessarily push uh, uh, citizenship 
amongst the people. They kind of just let them kind of live here and kind of just, you know, get whatever they're entitled, they, well, they feel that they're entitled to. Uh, but again, there's no push to get them to become the citizens. There's no, there's, where is the, I mean, I think every citizen, every uh, sanctuary city should have a citizenship program. If they're going to be here, if they're going to be here, sanctuary city or not, it, you know, they should be working on that fast track to citizenship, especially if they're going to come to a, a, a sanctuary city. That sanctuary city should be giving them green cards. I don't know if they're going to rescind the fee or whatever like that. Maybe they should since that's what they want to do. And again, that's why I think, you know, if, if the state wants to make be so bold as to defy the federal government, especially in the sake of California, then California should be able to fund that. You need to be funding green cards. You need to be funding uh, residencies. Uh, and, and, and again, see, and, and see, nobody wants to think about it like that. I don't, and I think that's a little bit too far. You, you do. You need to be you need to be funding people's, you know, green cards. You need to be funding people's uh, citizenship filing fees. If that's what you if that's what a, a sanctuary state is supposed to be, if this is a sanctuary, then we need to be we need to be making people citizens here. This is not this is not just a place where they just lay here and they just, you know, get out of certain tax obligations here. But yet they get free schooling. We'll get into that in a second. They'll get some schooling and all that. And again, we'll get into all all that in just a second. But again, we need to be making sure that this is a place where they're they're becoming citizens and they're becoming, you know, they're they're going through all the process, the the, the legit process, and we're assisting with that. And I think that should be the that should be on the tab of the state. That should not be helped out by the federal government, especially since the state decided to defy the federal government's rules anyway. You see what I'm saying? So if a state wants to be sanctuary, okay, fine, be sanctuary. But sure, on your, you have to fund that. You should be able to. You should. You should be funding that if that's what you want to do, because it's not. It's not the goal of the U.S. government right now to provide that for everybody. It's just. It's just the unfortunate thing. Should it be? Sure. Should we be a in in a in a perfect world? Yes, but it's not like that. And they're giving the responsibilities to the state, so the state should be financially responsible for all that as well. Okay, and we're going to move on. Uh, we're almost done here for today. I want to break down a couple more things. Uh, one, I wanted to get into the DREAM Act. Uh, this was originally known as the Development, Relief, and Education uh, for Alien Minors Act. Uh, if it would, And it's still kind of in process, although the Trump administration has kind of put an X in that, put a fork in that. They don't really want to deal with it. Uh, but if it, were, if it were to be passed, it would give temporary residency with work authorization to qualifying immigrants who enter the country as minors. After a period of time, they would be they would be uh, able to be granted permanent status. Uh, the first uh, version of this bill was introduced on April 25th, 2001 by Illinois representative, a Democrat by the name of Luis Gutierrez. Just a little bit about Luis Gutierrez. Uh, just kind of put some context into this. He's a member of the U.S. House of Representatives, Illinois' 4th District. Uh, that's around Chicago, Chicago area, a large uh, Latin section of the city. Uh, that's where he oversees. He also helped uh, helped in many, uh, many other causes of immigration by introducing the CIR ASAP, which would uh, streamline education uh, for immigrants, uh, students, while increasing border security. So kind of a two-way thing here. So again, we have somebody who's from the community, from a community of predominantly uh, Latino, so pr predominantly an area of a lot of immigrant families and workers, somebody who was shaped by that community, and he turned around years later, 
and he decided to pass the or at least draft this bill again it's still in the works because we have a government you know at least right now that's not keen on what they will call quote unquote open borders I don't call it an open border policy. I just, I just feel like it's a, it's a streamlined situation in which we're not taking so much time to make people pay this or process this. It's not. It should not be that hard. It, it should not be that hard. I think if you have some type of identification from your country of origin, you should be able to just be, you know, be lifted in. I mean, it should just be as simple as a background check. If you have, if you have any type of identification for your country of origin, you should be able to look in that. We should be able to look into a data database why not uh, we should all be there is Interpol so I don't see why we would not have you know at least criminal records at least on tap about somebody I mean there's a there's a, a, tons of ways that we can improve it but we're not and we're still stuck in the path because we want to make it and we're making it in in our arguments forward or or lower level arguments you know they have to do with jobs and economy although those situations are being proven to be wrong. They're not affecting those things. So again, you have a man here, representative of his community. He goes out here and he drafts this law that, and drafts many bills that would kind of help, not only help the immigrant situation, but also maintain whatever status quo we would want here at our border. You know, some type of status quo. The bill itself will be changed and rewritten over time. Like I said, it did not make its way to be coming past, uh, but all throughout the 2000s, 2009, 2010, those were some really heavy years for it in terms of uh, you know people talking about it, in terms of you know it being on 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 the hill, Capitol Hill, and being talked about and discussed. Um, in California, however, in 2011, they would pass their own Dream Act, uh, which would allow children under 16, undocumented, uh, to a, to a t who attend school and meet. GPA requirements to apply for financial aid. AB 130, a part of the DREAM Act, uh, allows students to apply for non-state funded scholarships and universities. Um, oh, sorry, it allows them to apply for scholarships, the non-state funded scholarships for universities and colleges, of course. And AB 131 allows for state funded financial aid. And again, and before we get all into, you know, because again, you'll have people saying, an argument against this is, well, you're 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 pretty much, and again, I've heard this from blacks and whites, and even Latinos who have been established in this country, who have roots in this, who do have roots in this country, who might have been born here, second, third generation, and not just coming over here. They'll sit there and tell you, well, they're overlooking you, they're overlooking the American populace, they're you know giving these people preferential treatment. Well, I'm gonna tell you like this, and the same thing with affirmative action. The child still has to meet GPA requirements, just like it was with affirmative action. See, the common, the common low-level argument in a lot of these things is what what is happening, and this is not this is not true. These are exaggerations, believe me. What they're saying is any and everybody is getting scholarships, just like with affirmative action. Any black person was just getting into college, no matter what. No. And you don't understand why these systems were put into place or these bills were coming across anyways. Because again, students, especially, you know, immigrants, uh, children of immigrants weren't 
first of all, they couldn't even get access to becoming a, 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 a citizen at first. So again, they can't afford school. They're here. They're going through the same the same uh, trials and tribulations we do as American-born kids, blah, blah, blah. But they can't afford it, and they can't even apply for anything to help them afford it because guess what? They're not even a citizen. Same thing with black folk. Black folk were getting discriminated against for all throughout the 60s, 70s, and even at some points now, okay? What what affirmative action does, especially in terms of education and even something like this, it, it, it tells you straight here, a student has to make those GPA requirements, okay? The GPA requirements for Cal, for Cal, UCLA, for the UCs is a 3.0. So it didn't matter. See, it, see, all this didn't matter. It doesn't matter if they were Mexican, Honduran, if they were Im illegal immigrant. It doesn't matter if the child was black back in the days of affirmative action. If you did not have the grades to go, you weren't going to get in. Okay? So affirmative action in the DREAM Act does not say, oh, just, just any old immigrant kid that just barely went to school, didn't care, or any black kid that just kind of just walked on by. That does not mean that they're getting it. That did not ensure that. No, what it meant was the ones that worked their ass off, the ones that earned it, they're not going to get overlooked by somebody just because they're not going to get overlooked for somebody who's American-born and or white that does not have the same criteria. Sorry. What I mean is if, if that immigrant kid or that black kid had a 3.0, he's getting in over that white kid that had a 2.5. And guess what? White people in the established American populace, for whatever reason, can't handle that. I, it's called competition. It's called taking school seriously it's called getting working your ass off like a lot of these people did when they got here so it takes a it takes an it takes a mighty investment again especially for the people who did this shit. you got to think about it for the people who did this shit legit they had to spend over three thousand four thousand bucks of their hard-earned money to get their whole family here wherever they came from and we're not even just talking about people who just coming from central america we're talking about you know immigrants in general just like we were, t just like us, uh, black folks, you know, and you know, at many points, you know, we're working hard, we get overlooked, but that's why it's important to have protections for yourself. That's why it's important to have your state representative, your local representative, go to Washington and say, "Look, this is what my people want. This is what my people." really would, would, would want to to be a part of this fold to join this fold if that's really what you want us to do that's what Luis Gutierrez did here that's what the dream act is all about and people can hate on it all they want to but people don't understand what people don't understand is if you worked hard there shouldn't if you did exactly what you're supposed to do nine times out of ten there shouldn't be nothing coming in your way to to affect you this is the bottom line is and bottom line is too many blacks and too many latino people fall in through these countries cracks and not only do the blacks and latinos do but the, the but the lower class whites fall into these cracks or anybody low class anybody you know that's you know can afford a really a, a really a positive um well, uh, you know anybody you know, lower class, working class people, a lot of these laws that have been put in place affect the lower class. And that's regardless of races. The middle class has been one of the most objectified, you know, groups in this country. And that's regardless of race. It's a race. That's not a race thing at that point. OK, when I see a, when I see affirmative action and it tells me you still need to maintain a 3.0, you still need to maintain a 3.0 to get into a, a UC. They were not letting just any old immigrant kid into these schools. They're not doing that. That's not the whole point. That's not the point. 
just like with affirmative action, they were not letting in kids with 1.0s into UC Berkeley, into Michigan, and all those schools. Just like if you go to a Cal State, Cal State is 2.5. You're not getting in there with a 2.0. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter if you're black, white, or anything. If you have a 2.0 and the GPA requirement is a 2.5, you don't get in. All that it does is ensure that, okay, if this if this guy, he's worked, this guy or this girl has worked their ass off. That's all the DREAM Act is really confirming. Okay, you came here, your parents came here illegally, or they, they don't have any documentation. Okay, but you put in the work, you put in the work in this country for four years in one of our accredited high schools in whatever state, whatever city. You you got you got you graduated, you walked across that stage, you should at least be able to go to a secondary school to prefer to pursue your education. Okay? There should be no there should be no block against you. We should all be able to do that. We should all be able to go to college, really. We should all be able to get, you know, well paying jobs in reality and gain those same skills in reality. But it, but again, people on it people you know that we're in this group that fit that fit in this mold that grew up around people in that mold that undocumented you know status they were in this community they represented those people in their in their you know in their positions they went ahead and they did that for those people again this is a disclaimer all federal state and federal and non-state federal financial aid is allotted to all american born students who meet in, who meet that criteria and that's how it should be. And again, you know, before I let you guys go, uh, if we do feel as though we are not having our needs met, I got some suggestions for you. For my brothers and sisters, y'all feel like, you know, this country, this state in particular has overlooked you. You can call up a few people right now. Call up your Congress represent. Call up your represent state representative Karen Best, who represents the 37th district out there in Culver City in Los and near the Los Angeles area. Call up Barbara Lee. She runs the 13th district of Oakland and slash Alameda County. You can call her. Their numbers are available for you. You can mail them. You got Maxine Waters here. Everybody calls her auntie, but what is she? They all those three. Think about it this way. And this is where I kind of want to take, this is where I wanted to take my argument with this. Especially black people who say that they have all these issues in this country. They have these problems in this state. They have problems with housing. They have problems with the police. You need to be on the phone with all three of these women every damn day. Especially Miss Miss Maxine, who y'all claim y'all love so much out there in the 43rd district. Call her, mail her, let her know your concerns about what's going on and, and have them talk to her. That's what we need to be doing. That's what these other groups are doing. Believe it or not. You don't think the Latino community was in Gutierrez's ear like, hey, bro, can you help us with this? Can you? And again, I'm speaking in layman's terms, I'm speaking, you know, cordially with y'all. But of course, it was probably, you know, all government, whatever, and you know, of course, they weren't speaking like me per se. But you don't think that community was in his ear, like especially in a community like Chicago, where there's a large Latino community, Puerto Rican, uh, and Mexican. Actually, it's a lot, a majority Mexican population who's immigrated. Because remember, Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory, so Puerto Ricans are already U.S. citizens. But again, you don't think those Mexicans, those Latinos, were in his ear, like, come on, man, can you, can you, can you do this for us? We should be in, in, if we, and again, as black folk, if we truly feel that we want reparations, we need better pay, we need something to change, we got, I just named you three people 
that you can highlight right now. And if you're and if let's say for instance, because again, we've, we're starting to change a little bit too. Let's say you want a different view from the other side. You want to talk to somebody that's a Republican. Okay. Highlight Corinne Rankin from Southern California as well. She's a GOP activist. If you have concerns in the black community that you need to get met, those are four individuals that you can talk to right now. They are available. For my white folks, y'all been here, you whatever, y'all got problems. There's a couple people there that y'all can talk to as well. You could talk to your representative. Uh, he's a Republican, Devin Nunes of the 22nd District. You also talk to Jackie Spire out of the 14th District, the Democrats. So we all got choices. If you if we feel as black folk we need we need uh we need um you know some type of reparations, you know who we need to be calling right now? The caucus, the black caucus. Let's see what they got. Let's see what ideas they got to go ahead and 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 and, and push that. Let's call up uh let's call up the black GOP leaders. Let's see what they got going on for us. Let's see what let's see what they gonna do for that. Because, again, this is a community situation, and we all got to bring these ideas together. This is what, again, this is what got the DREAM Act passed. And, again, this is what got your civil rights passed back in the 60s. Of course, we weren't all the elected officials back then, but the community was at least active in a, in a, enough in approaching community heads, community leaders, and applying that pressure to where it needed to be and look at you. You can work alongside other peoples. You can get a decent enough wage. Although, of course, there's some things that should probably be changed in terms of that, or at least the cost of living. So there's still work we need to do. But again, there's people out there that we can be addressing these issues to. This is what their job is. We need to be holding those people accountable. Okay? Now, I'm going to bring all this to an end. We've gone as far as we can. We've talked about the controversies of today. Uh, we're not going to get into the, the Muslim bans because they were all, I mean, again, whatever, travel bans and immigration bans because of the coronavirus. That's complicated. That's for another day. And discussion of black and black Democrats and Republican, black Republicans, that's a discussion from another day. And that's a very important discussion to have. Um, but we're going to call it a wrap for this. Okay, we've gone, we've gone through all the history phases of California. Um, and let's let's bring it all to a head. It's important to remember that when discussing the history of California, true immigration arrives, well, it comes with the Spanish and their arrival in the 18th century. Those were your true first immigrants. Remember, California was the home of the Achumawai. The Chamarico, the Miwok, the Ohlone, the Shasta, among other groups of natives. True immigration starts again, like I said, in the 18th century with the Spanish Empire and missions. And it will continue, of course, when Spain left and Mexico was seized control over California. And again, this will be the, the, the country of Mexico. But again, it wouldn't stop. You would get your Europeans, your John Sutters. You'd also have your Africans brought here, either through slavery, and also your Americans moving westward. So this was a land always attracting new people. But let's not forget the originals. Let's not ever do that. Okay? Now, over time, California would then become a state. This would happen in the mid-1800s. You have the implementation of the railroad, which would bring even more people here. This time from Asia and Chinese descent. The railroad would were done was would, would would be finished. California and the nation would progress. 
over time, sentiments would start, uh, anti or racial sentiments, negative racial sentiments would stir. This would lead to the exclusion acts of the Chinese in the late 1800s. Also, the Greaser Acts a little bit before then uh, that went after Mexicans. And also uh, the Vagrancy Acts that went after blacks and those of African descent. We have to remember all those things. But to see, history or, yes, history and the media doesn't get you to, to, to arm up about that. It doesn't get you to worry about, it doesn't, it doesn't have you really dwell on the fact that the missions killed those natives. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't like to mention that California was pretty much one of the worst slave states and it was a slave state. It doesn't hide, hides those things from you. It doesn't tell you that this was one of the, the, the feverish places for exclusion uh, behavior towards the Chinese and violence towards other races. History does not like to talk to you about pre-civil rights movement or the Zoot Suit riots. What history and the society will tell you is that history is that immigration in itself, it takes away from America, it takes away our identity. Even now you'll even hear something as crazy as it's a Kabbalistic uh, it's a Kabbalistic regime or it's part of a Kabbalistic regime to open up our borders in order to be open to others. And again, that's not what history, that's not really what happened. Immigration, whether it be with the E, whether it be with the I, meaning whether it be from the moving, the moving of people from different countries to this, to this state or the people moving from other places in this country to the state. Immigration has brought you civil rights, workers' rights, the AF, the AFL-CIO, Cesar Chavez, Marnold the King. See, people are always going to want to improve their, their lot in society through many ways. A simple move can do that. That simple move can lead to more ideas, to more knowledge. Many blacks came out here during World War II and, uh, from the southern states in order for new opportunities to work. And they worked. They did. They worked hard in our U.S. factories. Their children went on to be educated at some of our top universities. Every day, we make America work for you and I. And it's not my place, nor yours, to tell somebody that they are not allowed to do that. All right, y'all. I'm calling a wrap for today. If you're looking to hear, get in touch with me. Uh, you can hit me up on my email at ljbutler75 at gmail.com. That is E-L-J-B-U-T-L-E-R 75 at gmail.com. Once again, that is ljbutler75 at gmail.com. E-L-J-B-U-T-L-E-R75 at gmail.com. I also have a Instagram page at ljamal791, E-L-J-A-M-A-H-791, E-L-J-A-M-A-H-791. You can also hit me up on my Facebook as well, at Never Out of Bounds. I got some content links there as well, some stuff that I've shared. Uh, 
I'm also going to be having all the links for the rest of these episodes for the Golden State issue just to kind of get you guys uh, a heads up on that that is available for you guys I have eight parts to this eight parts uh, so feel free to look at parts one through seven uh, feel free to look at this one all you like uh, but again this is not just you know not just this one part this is a whole multi uh multi-part series i'll be putting the rest of those links up over the course of the week so give me some support give me some love guys any suggestions please let me know leave them under my facebook dm me uh anything you like i'm here i ain't going nowhere i'm having fun i love this i love what i do um and i will be back uh, at some point this week i'm gonna unless some 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 big news comes up I'm working primarily on the Lethal Weapon uh, review, so look out for that. That should be coming out at some point near the weekend. Uh, so, yeah, guys, uh, I love you guys. If you guys haven't told you yet, I love you. Uh, peace out, one love. I'll at you guys later.